Welcome to the Curious About Nature podcast. This is a podcast for folks who want to connect with nature and rewild childhood. Hosted by Rachel Mills, Buttercup Learning's founder, an educator with 20 plus years of experience with a passion for animation, the natural world and conservation. Rachel focuses on getting digital kids outdoors and having fun in nature promoting well-being and a can-do attitude to local wildlife conservation and sustainable living. Join her and her guests for their stories, experiences and tips to support outdoor learning and nature connection. Okay, welcome to Curious About Nature podcast. Today I am joined by Claire Willits from Not Only Pink and Blue. Claire Willits is the founder of Not Only in Pink and Blue, which is actively and consciously challenging stereotypes from birth. Claire wants to grow a generation of equals by challenging buying behaviour that perpetuates stereotypes. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background and where did Not yeah, Only so Pink I, and Blue come I've got from? an advertising background working in agencies and communications. And I guess it's there that I really could see how different messaging impacts people. And that's what advertising is about, right? It's about changing behavior sometimes. Sometimes it's about encouraging people yeah. to obviously buy stuff. But all of that is all about the communication that we're given. I guess it's funny because people say to me, oh, I bet you got interested in this after you had children. And I'm like, actually, go back to when I was 13 and I was at school and we had a very as a lot of people do and it's still now to this day unbelievably but we had a uniform policy that had a boys uniform and a girls uniform and we had to wear a box pleat gray skirt that was very strictly below the knee and it was a bit ridiculous and completely impractical we had a sports hall that was leaking so we had to sit in assembly every day avoid these drips from we're sitting on the floor and it's we're in these skirts it's just uncomfortable and I decided I'm going to get the uniform policy changed. I, I got one of my friends to help me, Emma, and we petitioned the headmaster and said, girls should be able to wear trousers. This is ridiculous. And thankfully, the uniform policy got changed. So really pleased that we managed to do that. And then I had this whole thing about kind of fairness. I was I went through school and then university and I was a managing partner at MNC Saatchi, which is a big advertising agency. And we did lots of different things. But interestingly, we did a lot of work with big companies about women in business and they were internal communications policies and events and training courses and a lot of it was centered around confidence and leadership skills and I say it in inverted commas because define leadership right at the same time we had government and charity clients who were telling us that they were seeing the highest young male depression and suicide rates that they'd ever seen now Around this time, my friends started having children. So I was in the shops buying things for their, their newborns. And I was like, oh, God, it's still really pink and blue. And it shocked me. And so I started this blog called Not Only Pink and Blue. And it was all about where are the colorful kids clothes. That's how it started. And then as I started to have my own children, I was like, is this pink and blue thing just me getting annoyed about some colors? Or is there more to it? And that's when I started to do research. And I started to be really, really shocked, annoyed <laughs> at the impact that stereotypes have from such mm. a young age, how that kind of pink blue becomes the shorthand for it. And I started to go, hold on, we're sitting here talking about helping you know, women in business. We're talking about late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s. 
with their confidence. Hold on, because by the age of seven, eight, girls are losing their confidence. One of the most recent studies, by the age of eight, girls have lost 30% of their confidence around eight years old. And you're like, okay, so you're trying to now bring back something that was lost in childhood. How do you do that? And at the same time, finding the studies that are talking about boys and emotions and emotional literacy and the fact that they're lacking in that because they're not taught to about emotions. So actually, what they find is the only acceptable emotion for them to show is anger. I'm going, hold on, it's great. We're tackling some of this stuff at adult level, but we've had an impact really early. What can we do? And so that's when I started to go, okay, maybe we need to look at doing something a bit differently and maybe we need to challenge this earlier. And so... Yeah, I set up not only Pink and Blue, it turned from a blog <laughs> into a company. And, um, and it does several things. Like you say, one of the key things is buying behavior. There's a real piece around there because unfortunately for us, the way that our shops and online are divided most of the time is you have to pick the girl boy side of the shop or you have to filter online pretty early normally when you're buying for kids. Um, and so we have a directory of businesses on our site that don't have girl boy filters. That's a prerequisite. We also talk to them about their sustainability, what they're doing there, where they are on that journey. So we make sure that we're looking at them from a rounded perspective. We also work with businesses. We collaborate with leaders. We do talks to businesses. We do some consulting with them. Maybe they're doing some communications, especially to children, and we help them avoid those stereotypical tropes that we see so often companies fall into, especially when they're talking to children. And then we also help them create parent-friendly cultures because we really believe that we have to affect business, we have to increase our shared parental leave, and we have a parental leave program for everyone at that company, regardless of gender, when they're adding to their family to come onto that program. And so the idea is that if we can affect that, we can start to affect the home and we can really start to cancel out some of these stereotypes that we see that we know are detrimental, not just for girls. We focus a lot on girls, but also for boys. Yeah, it sounds like you're coming at it from all angles, really. (laughs) That's really quite comprehensive. I know you've just started doing courses as well, haven't you? I did one online Um, that looked really interesting. course for parents. Because what we found was we get a lot of questions in. So obviously lots of people come into our DMs and emails and they message us and say, oh, I've got this situation or I don't know how to manage this or what do I do? Where do I shop or what do I do? Or it's everywhere, especially in the newborn phase. There's a real kind of I'm getting all this pink stuff. I'm getting all this blue stuff. And I don't know how to talk about that with the people who are giving me the gifts. And then there's a lot, especially when kids get to school, because that's where a lot of the peer-to-peer policing comes in. And parents are saying, I don't know how to talk to other parents. So I'll hear them say things, and I know that their child is hearing that, and then their child is saying that to my child. How do I have that conversation with parents without alienating them, myself, getting myself out of the parent group? And so we wanted to talk about some of that and some of the myths and get rid of some of those. And so people had a bit more of an understanding and then helped them with some practical ideas. So, yeah, it's a five week course and it it just deals with some of those things and some of those questions that we get through. Do you have any tips for maybe letting friends and relatives know your wishes around kids clothing, especially, but also games and toys when it comes to. 
during that. During I think the main thing time. is it's having a kind of gentle conversation because what people don't want to do often, some people do, but most of the time people don't want to go out and have an argument with their family and friends. So it can be as simple as, oh, I was reading about this particular thing or, oh, I've just started following whoever on Instagram, could be us. And it's really interesting, actually, because they're talking about how these stereotypes are ingrained in toys and clothes and whatever. And so you can intro relatively softly. And then you can say something I'm going to think about really consciously. And you know what? In our house, we've got a lot of whatever that particular toy is. So maybe the child's getting the positive feedback loop because they like, I don't know, toy trucks. And so everything is bought. Ah, oh, Johnny loves toy trucks. So everything is bought with that. So it's the plate, the bowl, the truck itself. Oh, let's get in the car garage. You'll be like, well, actually, we've got a lot of that type of stuff. There's obviously like loads of positive reinforcement coming back from that. Great if we gave them some other skill sets. Because I've just been reading that the toys we play with develop the skill sets that our kids have. So I would love to develop some of the other skill sets. Maybe we could get whatever it might be, a toy kitchen, some dolls, you know, some making things, some crafting things, whatever those things are that you'd like to add, talk about those and the positive skill sets that they could give your child. And same with clothes. When you talk about range of colours, it's really interesting for boys, they, especially we're coming up to party season, right? So if anyone goes into the shops or looks online, the girls have got bright colours and sparkles and fun things and lots that you can express yourself with. What you find in the boys' sections is often navy blue or maybe black, maybe some red because it's Christmas, but it's all quite big. It's very smart. It's shirts with a button down. Like There's not as much expression there. And you can talk about some of those things. Actually, God, I know that Alfie loves this colour. And so it'd be really nice if we could find something that's... So you can do it. You don't have to do it in a, oh, I'm so annoyed with this situation thing. You can do it quite softly. And that garners a conversation. And, and I think it's really good to have those conversations because that's how people start to go, ah, oh, hadn't thought about it, hadn't seen it. Because of course, and this is really key for me, and the way we approach it at Not Only Pink and Blue is we are all, it's ingrained in all of us. We grew up with this. And so it doesn't matter how hyper aware you are. And I'm hyper aware. I am in this every day, all day. I say, think and do things all the time. I catch myself and I go, oh, I can't believe I just thought that, did that, said that. So, you know, so being aware is the key thing. And once you have a bit of awareness, you start to notice it a bit more everywhere. So the more we can give people, whoever might not be thinking about it, just a little bit more awareness, they can start noticing and then challenging themselves as well. When my daughter was a baby, we used to just dress her in secondhand clothes a lot, either through Facebook groups or friends who donated. And it became quite well yes. known that yeah. we weren't bothered about the gender. <laughs> but then you take my daughter out yeah. and people would always assume that she was a boy yes. because she was wearing more blue than pink. And I remember sometimes feeling a bit weird by yeah. it because it was like, but no, she's yeah. a girl. And then I thought, actually, does it really matter? What gender this person who's a stranger who's yes. just all saying, oh, what a cute little boy. Yeah. And you're like, she's not a boy. But we've become so yes. sensitized to yes. these things, I think, definitely. And it's interesting now, my daughter's color choices. Yeah. 
she doesn't wear pink at all mm-hmm. and we say there's nothing wrong with pink you can wear pink if you want to but we must have somewhere along the line she's associated it with this color that's less or something so i think we took it too far with this idea that certain colors are not yeah but... worthy of being worn and it's really interesting that we saw say yeah. it's okay to wear the pink top that you know granny yes. got you this is the yeah. bit that we really have to try and move but, um, forward on yeah is that unfortunately girl and girly is used as a pejorative it is a negative and children learn that very early and there are lots of things around that and just just the way that we are and the books that we read and the cartoons everything our language all of it and so for a boy one of the biggest insults is and that's girly or you're girly or you run like a girl or whatever it might be and girls pick up on that too so there is a kind of a common phenomenon that they will get to a point and they'll also realize that pink is associated with that now this is subconsciously they know that that's a negative right and so then they reject pink so probably having gone through a big pink phase because girls like pink and it's associated and you understand the pink becomes the default and so therefore they then reject it too because there's this you understand oh that's not a positive so therefore I'm going to step away from it too. And then it'll come full circle and they might not go back to a massive pink phase, but they will go, oh, actually, I want to own that as a way and I want to, therefore I will wear pink or whatever. So it is interesting. And pink specifically becomes the default for girly. And as you said, girly is a negative. And that is a key thing we have to change. How do you think we can go about challenging gender stereotypes then, especially in baby products and uh, clothing? Is there any, yeah, any so there's quite a the few uh, different places that are trying to make a difference. So Let Toys Be Toys is one that is always looking at it and highlighting. There's a lot at the moment highlighting, obviously, about the pink tax because toys that are the same but once coloured pink tend to be more expensive. So they have been doing that for, I think they must have been around 14 years now, 12, 12 years. And so they have been... consistent across that so there are campaigns around and there are people doing doing things about it um equally there are other businesses in the realm of mine like sunshine magazine they've done a whole piece where they were emailing and encouraging other people to email to different shops to talk to say about their the messaging on their clothes and things like that so yes they are around and they are doing something whether the government are actually listening, because that's one of the key things. We need some legislation change is another. Yeah. Now, Buttercup, I've noticed that when we're looking through stock photos to use on our website, we're at that stage where we're just about able to afford branded photographs. But when we're looking for alternatives, they always show girls outdoors, inappropriately dressed, possibly not really active the photographs of boys doing outdoor activities yeah. they're the ones climbing the trees with a few exceptions and as we grow we really want to represent what children really yes. enjoy my own daughter loves tree climbing but the other thing that i've noticed as well is that when we go to buy or anything for outdoor wear for forest school and just walking to school yeah. in the rain it's all slim fitting there's no no idea of 
yes. being able to layer clothes underneath. Yeah. My daughter's very fussy about her seams yeah. and her texture on her skin. So finding really practical clothing that, that suits yeah. children who have sensory differences that isn't gender yes. stereotyped as well. Yeah. Really, and that's been absolutely a key part of it as well. So not only the messaging and the colorways, but actually, so when you look at, say, shorts, for example, if you go into shops, you'll generally find that the boys' shorts age three to four are longer than the girls' shorts age nine to ten. On average, there's been a few studies done across Europe. On average, the shorts are around six centimetres shorter in the girls' section than the boys at the same age. And like you say, the fit is different, even though actually children's bodies are much of a muchness until obviously they hit puberty. So we're looking around kind of 10 plus. The reality is, yes, girls' clothes tend to be shorter. They tend to be thinner. Even T-shirts, they are shorter on the arm. And then when we look at quality, which is also really annoying because for the boys' clothes, they take a more practical view. So they've often got reinforced knees. They've got double seams. Then often the girls' clothes are more expensive as well. So just to double impact it. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because what it does is it takes away the practicality of clothing for girls. And like you say, it's very hard to climb a tree in shoes that have no grip. If your shorts are really short, if your clothes aren't particularly thick and coarse, and it's it, that's just removing them from again learning a skill set, but also something that they often love and enjoy. And so you couple all those things with the messaging. It doesn't take that long for us to go. Okay, once you add these things up, and children are very adept at learning around them learn the rules watching and learning what am I wearing what does that mean all those things all those little subtle communications that we're giving them the little messages you can see where we get to where they say oh actually by kind of 10 11 12 girls don't play sport anymore they don't want to yeah but we've never given them shoes they can run around in they've been given the message I can't run in these flimsy yeah. little sandals if I do I slip over so what I won't run then we have to be mindful of all these little they might seem inconsequential in their own just when we're looking at that particular bit but once we start to add up all of these and put the breadcrumbs together before you know it we've got a loaf terrible analogy sorry but mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine coming on to schools looking at children's literature you've got this especially traditional children's books the female characters are always animal characters yeah. always portrayed as this weak very gentle yeah um, the prey of the male character and then obviously the animal characters that male characters yes. are portrayed as the yes. predatory strong adventurous type can you give examples of maybe any authors or illustrators that portray yeah, so, gender um, differently first of all i think that we can often use the books that we have so lots of people, one of the big questions we get asked is, oh, do I have to get rid of my fairy tales mm -hmm. and all these books I've got? And it's no, because actually, so when kids are young and they can't yet read, you can play with all the pronouns, the he, she's, the they's, whatever. You can play with those. When they get a little bit older, and you can still ask the questions when they're younger, but you can start to talk about some of the stereotypes that are in there just by asking really simple questions. And kids are so adept at this. Is this fair? 
you know, who do we see this in any other stories where this particular type of character is doing this type of thing? Who would you want to be in this story and why? How would you change it? Would you change the ending? Do you like the characters here? So you can start to have conversations about those things. And children do start to say, why is it that the princess is always locked in the tower or being saved or put to sleep or whatever it is? And so actually, they're very adept at picking those things up without us going, oh, look at this stereotype, which they won't understand. Actually, having that conversation is really. I think there are two kind of places I would look. I mean, there are lots going on, but one company I really love is Butterfly Books, and they are they're creating stories around. Kind of non-typical gendered careers but in a really fun, illustrative way. So they'll have things like, my mummy is a soldier, my daddy is a nurse, most recent one, my mummy is a train driver. And, but the way they do it is lovely. It's all a story in, throughout the book, and it's really beautifully illustrated. And what I love about it is they actually go and do the research. So they go into, we talk to nurses or train drivers or whoever it is, and so they actually put real elements of those roles in there. So it's brilliant for kids. They understand that there are opportunities in careers. It's one of the big things, especially for girls, to be able to show them that there are, whether kind of non-gender typical careers makes a massive difference to them if they see it. So that's really good. So that helps. The other place I would say is Little Box of Books. They're very good. They're more of a subscription service, but they are constantly getting those new books that challenge all of these things, whether it's gender stereotypes, whether it's diversity, all of those elements, that's what they do and they go and look at. So you get a range of books at different intervals, whatever you want it to be. Um, And they're really good because it's about lots of different things and really mixing up that kind of intersectionality of stereotypes and really helping challenge them so I'd say look at those two and then obviously look at our directory and places like that. We've got some brilliant brands on there too. So what, one of the things I've been like thinking about a lot lately is what's happening in my daughter's primary school? Well, what could I be asking my daughter's teacher about their learning just to get a sense of how they're yeah, tackling I mean, this at school? I mean, out and out ask the questions and I do how are you challenging gender stereotypes in the school I think it's a really important question because they should have a plan and an approach you can ask about things like how do you divide the class up when you're doing different activities because a default way of dividing the class up is boys and girls and the problem is the more we do that the more importance we place on that particular difference as being the key difference. And some really interesting studies have been done which show that even if you're not reinforcing stereotypes, i.e. saying to children, only boys can be a doctor, only girls can be nurses, for example, is a very kind of obvious one. Actually, if you're constantly dividing children up by boy and girl, if you're saying, right, there's a kind of boys display on this side and a girls display on that side, girls pegs over there, boys pegs over there. And then if you constantly use the terms boy, girl, it makes a real difference as to how they view stereotypes and how much they adhere to them. And so they will agree with much more stereotypical statements if you do that over a prolonged time. So one study that was done 
um, by Rebecca Bigler. She had teachers use boy girl around seven times every 20 minutes. So it's a lot. Teachers would say something like, right, Johnny, you come up for the boys. Chloe, you're doing really well for the girls. So the boy girl thing would become part of the praise and the sentence and the way that they worked. And it made a huge difference. Now, you can reverse that really quickly as well. I don't know if lots of people watching this might have seen No More Boys and Girls that was done. It's a BBC Award, BAFTA award winning show. And they did a similar thing. So they took that kind of experiment and they went into schools, a school, and they split them. There was a control group. And then they took a group and they removed all the stereotypes. They didn't have different pegs. They didn't have a separate display. They made sure that they were thinking about the language they used because what they found was the teachers were often saying love to the girls, mate to the boys, things like that. And so they really tackled all of those. They looked at all the books. Have we got any female protagonists in these books or is it majority male? It generally is majority male. More children's books are written with male characters each year. So they really worked on all those things and it was amazing. The skill sets changed. So they worked on those particular skill sets as well. So boys' emotional literacy increased. Girls, their kind of fine motor skills increased because one of the things they miss out on a lot is the kind of building blocks. The views of the children around which career paths were for girls or for boys or for women, for men. They viewed many more career options as for both, for anyone. And so all of these things, so that helps their aspirations, their skill sets obviously help their subject choices. We talk a lot about we don't have enough girls in STEM, we don't have enough boys in the caring roles and, and careers. But actually, we don't teach them those skills from a young age. So you can ask about all of those. How do you divide up the play section, especially in early years? How does the play section work in your school? When it comes to dressing up, what dressing up have you got? How is that divided or not? How do you encourage everyone to dress up as everything? It's all of those types of things because the key thing is that play develops skill sets, which develops subject choices, which develops aspirations. And the more we remove some of those, the fewer choices we give our children. So it's lots of questions around how they do those things. Ask them about the books. What characters have you got in your books? Who's writing those books? Mm. Have you got majority male authors with male protagonists? Have you got a diverse range of family setups? Have you got diversity within those books? It's all of those things. It all starts to link in. And so you can go in and ask any of those questions. And I'd encourage actually going to the head and asking, what is your approach to gender stereotypes? And find out if they're actually thinking about it and what they're doing about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some really uh, good thoughtful tips there regarding that, because I think a lot of parents might feel a little bit hesitant to start with about opening that conversation. But if we don't have yeah. the conversations and we don't know what's going on, so we're just assuming that that what we're trying to do at home or with our family is the same yeah. as what's happening in school. And that's probably not the case in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Re really curious about... Have you um, thought about what's happening next in your business? Because you seem to have lots of different projects, lots of things happening. All the things we're doing, obviously, is see, 
the more you look into it, the more you're like, oh, we need to do something about this. One of our really key areas is the parental leave piece. To be in with businesses and really create that parent-friendly culture. We did do some research in the last couple of years around why specifically dads weren't taking shared parental leave. Now, there's lots of things around shared parental leave. It's quite complicated the way it's set up. Lots of people don't really know the ins and outs of it. But there are a few things that came up that you would expect. So dads were like, it's not really, it's, I'm worried about my career, which obviously, so are women. There was some really interesting research done by Daddy Life where they actually said that was the culture. So it was the culture of the business really made them feel like they couldn't do it. Like it didn't work. They didn't see it happening anywhere. They certainly didn't see it from the top. Or it just, it was too much of a worry for them. But the other thing that came up when we were doing our focus groups was that there was this kind of real sense, and it was said several times, uh, yeah, but women just know what they're doing. And we were like, that's really interesting because women often don't. <laughs> and several of us talked from our personal experience and said, well, no, we didn't. And we read a lot of books, which quite frankly, quite often weren't very helpful. We obviously asked a lot of questions of other people who we knew had kids. We joined support networks, which granted is easier for women right now. There are many more of those, but there are lots of people working in that space to make sure it's inclusive for men as well. And, and we just figure it out, right? And so our response to, to a lot of those dads was, you didn't come into this job knowing how to do it. And it's a pretty complicated job. But you worked it out over several years. You learned the skills so that you could continue on that career path. And, or maybe you changed career path. You had to learn something completely new. It's the same. You just have to learn on the job. And it never, you've never learned it, right, being a parent, because next week it's going to be a different challenge. Next year there's something else that comes up because your child's growing too. So we got to the point and said well actually wouldn't it be really good if as part of parental leave we could just give some of that base knowledge from experts that know about this stuff so even things as simple as obviously what do I do when I go off on parental leave what should I prepare and think about and then what are healthy sleep habits for baby without having to read this massive book that you quite frankly never get through because you've read a page and then your baby's crying or you're too tired or whatever it might be and I'd love to know a bit about weaning, but way before I'm even there, when I'm like suddenly going, oh, I should be weaning, all of those types of things. And obviously it's gender stereotypes in early years. And what do I do when I go back to work? How should I prepare for that? So we were like, actually, let's put together this kind of parental leave program. So we've got a real focus on that next year and talking to businesses about you need to create parent-friendly networks because otherwise people don't feel supported and when you're doing things like this, you're showing them that actually you can come and have a conversation with us about shared parental leave because we're talking about it anyway. We're going to support you when you go into a phase of your life that is completely different. None of us know what we're doing, on our, especially with our first child. And our second, we've forgotten we went through with our first. So yeah, so we've got a real focus on that to really start to open up that conversation around men need to be talking about it too because often businesses don't find out they're having a child until quite close to the due date if 
you're pregnant, then it's slightly different. You, you at some point have to tell them. But often for dads, it's two weeks before they're about to go off. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm having a child next week, but I'll only be off for two weeks and I'll be back. And it's, it's, not, it's not a great way for them. They can't prepare. They can't have that time with the child that we know is really important. And, and that will affect, as I said before, the in the home. It helps that kind of gender stereotype piece in the home. But also we know that if you are fortunate to be in a two-parent household, Actually, and this is regardless of gender, if you've got two parent households and they are both involved, the outcome for that child is better. So if you have got the parents that are around, they need to be involved. And that's brilliant for the child as well. It helps them too. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back on my own maternity leave, I feel quite fortunate that my husband at the time was freelancing. So we saved up the money. So spend. I think it was nearly six weeks off at the beginning of when our daughter was born. And yeah, he still talks about how happy he is that he got that experience, that if he'd been working as an employee, he wouldn't have had that. Yeah, it it makes a huge difference. So I think what you're doing is fantastic if you can help support businesses to really start to think about yes. how they support their employees, definitely. So where can we find you, Claire, online and in person? Well, it's not only pinkandblue.com. And then on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, hopefully, for as long as we can, it's not only pink blue brilliant thank you thank you so much for oh thank me you i've really enjoyed it it's thank you so much pleasure. thank you thanks for tuning in to this episode of curious about nature if you would like to keep getting nature and outdoor learning stories and tips hit subscribe in the podcast so you never miss an episode don't forget to give a five-star rating and review to support our podcast reach To deepen your child's connection with nature and natural world education, please check out the Nature Curious subscription box. Head over to the website buttercuplearning.com to further support your family's nature journey.